0: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Modo, digital strategies with
1: tra- Ethan Sachs
0: and David Seville. Intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Manor Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com.
1: Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Odo, and you're listening to episode 39, Charter Course. My name is David Seville, and I have Ethan Sachs on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir?
0: I am handsome, as always. How are you, sir?
1: I am not as handsome this week. Uh, a little frazzled, but uh, other than that, it's a pretty good week, so... Glad to have you again this week. Uh, this week is an interesting episode, but first I'm going to preface this with uh, we have homework this week, and we're not going to tell you what the homework is till the end of the episode, so I encourage you to stick around and listen to the very end. We have some very special homework for you this week. Um, but this week's episode is interesting. I wanted to get your take, your expertise on essentially how to plot our course, how to chart our course through the, any draft in general, but in Ixlan, I, I guess specifically, since that's the format of, of the time being. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to pick your brain and I'd like to get you maybe take us through how you as an expert, since you have a ridiculous win rate in this format, what is it lately?
0: Well, currently it's only at 62%. This, uh, I'm This coming out of a slump. So my last like 15 drafts are very good, mostly 3-0s and 2-1s. Um, but I was took me a, way longer than normal to find my footing in this format, which is why I think what we're going to do today is going to be so helpful. And I'm also interested to get uh, your thoughts on the picks that we're going to go through just because I think this format really uh, is a little counterintuitive to other draft formats that we've seen recently from wizards.
1: Yeah. I've been seeing that a lot on Twitter. Um, talked about it last week where a lot of the the top players, the, the top streamers are having trouble in the format. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, so it'd be interesting to see, Um, Now that you've had some success in the format, what has changed for you as well? So I look forward to your insight here. But yeah, we're going to go through um, William Jensen's uh, World Championship draft from day two. So everybody knows, maybe they don't, but most people should know that he's the world champion. Spoiler alert. Um, Spoiler alert. He is the greatest player in the world and he deserves all of his success. But you've outlined every single pick and all of the key cards from packs one through three. So we're going to spend probably 45 minutes, maybe 30 minutes on this. Um and I'm going to ping you with questions along the way and hopefully get a lot of insight into your take on his draft um especially knowing that he basically 3 0 would with it I think right I think he went undefeated into the last two rounds so
0: Um yeah so he was 7 and 0 going into day 2 and this is the start of his uh his second day the pod 1 draft and uh so just I feel like pack 1 pick 1 is talked about a lot so we'll certainly discuss this, but we're not going to go through every pick of any of the packs today. Um, We're just going to look through sort of when you can, when you look at the video on Twitch or on YouTube, you see what cards he pulls to the front. So I've outlined the cards that he seemed to be deciding between. And if there is not a card, if there's a card in the pack that I thought was interesting to talk about, I've put it in here too. But we're only generally going to be looking at about four or five cards from each pick. Um, And then as we get towards the end of the pack, we'll just sort of rattle off the ones that he he grabbed and then sort of sum up. But so going into pack one, pick one, I think my philosophy and general philosophy is you just want to take the most powerful card out of the pack, yeah?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so the things that he looks at here, uh, he's got, a, and the power level of Ixalan, we should say, is I think pretty flat. There are a handful of very balmy rares. I mean, hostage takers, kind of the scourge of the format, um, maybe the new glory bringer. But uh, most... Of the commons and uncommons are pretty even keeled. Um, so you're really gonna be looking at like small edges of power level between those cards. Okay, so diving in. Pack one, pick one. Huey looks at a pack that includes uh Water Trap Weaver, which is the two and a blue Frostlinks, mm-hmm. uh Pious Interdiction, which is the pacifism that gains you two life, Deadeye Tracker, which is the two in a black raid your opponent discards a card. And Glorifier of Dusk, which is the sort of build-your-own Sarah Angel, three-white-white white for the four-four uh, Sarah Pangel we could call it.
1: <laughs> I like that. I haven't heard that one before, Sarah Pangel. So, um, so me, when I look at this pack, yeah. um, I think how I'm approaching it right now in Ixalon is I like to lean toward the removal side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in this pack, Glorifier of Dusk is a, is a much more powerful card than Pious Interdiction. Mm-hmm. So if I'm picking a white card, I'm probably taking that. Um, that being said, I have had a lot of success with the water trap reaver in blue. Blue yeah. tempo has been something that I've been very, very fond of. Um, so that, that's kind of where I'm lining up right now, but what do you see? See out of this pack?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I agree with both of the thoughts you just had. I think water trap weaver is very strong. I have had it as the best blue common from day one. And I think it's very nearly there. The one with the wind, I think might be edging it out for me at the moment. We may, we may be getting into that later. Um, but yeah, I think Pius Addiction is still a fantastic white card, and Glorifier of Dusk is an even better white card. Um, and so I think just on pure power level, I would go with the 5-mana 4-4 four four here, which is also what Huey took. Um, so all three of us are in agreement here. <laughs> so moving into pack 2, he's got uh, Siren Storm Tamer. That's the 1-blue uh, for the 1-1 one one flyer that can counter a spell that targets you or a creature you control. We've got another Water Trap Weaver. We've got Skull Duggery, the Black one black removal spell or combat trick variant and Emissary of Sunrise, which is the two and a white for the two, one first strike explore
1: is Emissary of
0: Sunrise. Just the best explore creature. I think it probably is. It's tough. If, is it better than the two, two drops, the the black and the green two drops. I mean
1: the green two drop, the three, two or yeah. the two, one that turns into a three, two. That's also very good. It's, yeah. and it's tough. So if I had taken the Weaver in pack one, mm-hmm. I strongly consider the Weaver in pack two. Because Absolutely. Because I think they get better in multiples. Um, like having one is fine, but having two is I think just great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean like Emissary Sunrise is so hard to pass up, I think.
0: Um, so. I agree. I think it is probably on raw power level the best card in the pack. And when, what I like to look at here, so you've taken one card from pack one, mm-hmm. from your pick one. And I think what you want to do is weigh the options of not only the power level of the card on its own, so just, I like to look at basically pick one, pick two, and pick three as if they are pack one pick ones. And go like, if this was my first pack, what's the card I'm going to take out of it? Mm. And then think about, okay, if that's the card I would take out of it, how does that match up with my first pick? In this case, Emissary of Sunrise might just be the most powerful card out of the pack, and it matches up great with Glorify of Dust because they're both white. Um, If it wasn't, let's say we thought Water Trap Weaver was better, how much better is Water Trap Weaver than Glorifier of Dusk plus Emissary of Sunrise? So I sort of try to think about it as like a sum game of, okay, well, if, I'm taking, if I take Water Trap Weaver, am I pigeonholing myself into blue-white? Am I giving up on my first pick? Now, you're not really giving up on your first pick at all if you're grabbing Water Trap Weaver, because you could end up blue-white. But you don't want to pull yourself in too many directions too early in the draft. But I also think you want to be open to figuring out what, your seat wants to do, especially in this format. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, and I know you guys have talked about this, we've talked about this before on the show, is that uh, drafts can train wreck. Like people are having, I feel like train wreck is a term that's being thrown around a lot in this format. Um, and so things can go awry if you get married to your first picks or aren't able to sort of move into the open seat uh, when it's presented to you. Like a third pick, River, Rivers Harold Boone or whatever, to be like, I'm going to go and hedge on Merfolk, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, All that is to say, I think just going on pure power level, we're going to grab the Emissary of Sunrise out of here, pair that up with the Glorifier of of Dusk, and be pretty happy with where we're at in terms of two strong white cards going into the third pick.
1: Absolutely. Okay, I'm with you on that one. And uh, Huey is as well. He took that, so Um, I kind of feel bad because like my picks are lining up and, but this, but I think we're seeing the next couple of picks here. This is probably where the pros, um, differentiate themselves, at least for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can definitely see a, a difference in my picks or my preferences versus, um, you know, the world champions preferences here. So
0: yeah so in pick three he's got uh the cards he pulls to the front are colossal Dreadmaw, it's the four green green for the six six trampler tishan's wayfinder which is the two and a green for the two to explore sailor of means uh two and a blue for the one four make a treasure lurking chupacabra that's the black uncommon that gives things minus two minus two when you explore and sky march bloodletter, the two two flyer that drains your opponent for one when it comes into play
1: yeah, so um, I think originally, um, and, and and I might still make this mistake now, um, mm-hmm. I don't think I value the Bloodletter high enough, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm starting to come around on that, so um, Evasion is seemingly much more important in this format than maybe it was in Hour of Devastation.
0: Yes, I totally agree.
1: And, uh, you know, so much so that even like a Cobbled Wing seems to be finding its way, its way in a few decks, right? Yeah. Uh, and one with the Wind, you mentioned that earlier, so, um, you know, a format that feels not necessarily light on removal, but... Um, where the removal is maybe not very good and all of the creatures are the same. So you're kind of blowing your removal on three threes and, and, and two threes and things like that, maybe early in the game. Um, having a two, two flyer that just pecks in every once in a while is probably pretty good, but I think probably nervousness at the pro tour, I would, or at the world championship, I would probably take Deshaun as wayfinder because I think that's a solid creature. Um, I do like explore. Um, it does play well with the, the two white cards, you know, white, green, um, there is a little bit of support there, and it's a, it's a fine color combo depending mm-hmm. on what you pick up in um, in the later packs here. So, but I think I think you could you're probably not going wrong or that wrong if you're taking the Wayfinder. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think you know stepping back and knowing that, like looking at the list and seeing what what Huey picked, he picked the Bloodletter, for example. I can see, oh yeah, I'm probably making that mistake, and I'm probably still making that mistake today.
0: So I think it's interesting if we look at this. Like I said, like let's look at it. Pack one, pick one. What's the best card here? And I think I might come down... If this was pack one, pick one, I was presented with this, I think I might come down with Sashana's Wayfinder. But I'm taking Wayfinder there, and I'm basically only hoping to be Merfolk when I take that card. Because I'm not a huge fan... I guess Merfolk or the, like, niche, green, black, value, slight, explore, uh, benefit deck. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't really much care for green-white, and I don't really, like the green-red dinosaur deck that much, and that's certainly not where Tishana's Wayfinder wants to be. Um, so I would agree with that. But if I li- think about Tishana's Wayfinder plus my other two picks, I'm not thrilled about it. I don't, I've don't. i seen green-white decks that have success to them, but this is not how I want to start my draft if I'm taking those two white cards. The thing about Skymarch Bloodletter is that Black-White Vampires is one of, if not the strongest archetype in the format. So if I get to start with two strong white uncommons and a Skymarch Bloodletter, and maybe start to plant my uh, foot down as the only or one of the two vampire drafters at the table, I think my benefits are going to come from the left and, and from the right in pack three. Okay. Um, so that's where that's why I, I agree with the, uh, I mean, whatever, of course, I agree with the world championship draft pick. Yeah, that's saying a lot. But I, I think I, I come down in agreement with the Skymarch Bloodletter here third. Okay. Um, so now going into pick four, it's also of note, not a single white card to be seen here in pick three, right? We're talking, oh, we've-, yes. we've listed a black card, a blue card, a green card, no white cards. All right. Pick four. He's looking at depths of desire. That's the two and a blue bounce. Make a treasure mm-hmm. headstrong brute. The tuna red for the three, three can't block gets menace. If you have another pirate, uh, Jade guardian is the hex proof merfolk that puts a counter on something and dusk legion dreadnought. This is not something that he pulled to the front, but something that I think is worth mentioning because I think it's probably a bit more playable than I thought it was at the start of the format which is the five mana four six vehicle crew two with vigilance um but the pack's pretty weak as we will see with a lot of Ixalan packs the power level sort of dies down and you're looking at again these small edges of your picks um Mm. so kind of a disaster here yeah no white cards again
1: yeah no white cards and no black card to maybe figure out that black is open Mm -hmm. um, if you took the blood letter as a sign. So I see why you put the dreadnought in here because the colorless, it goes in any deck, right? Right. Um, And we've mentioned that on the podcast here before where, um, you know, sometimes you just take the colorless card because it's good enough and you'll play it for sure instead of wasting your fourth pick. Right. Um, I I do like the Jade Guardian. And if I had gone with the Tishana's Wayfinder, you know, I might take the Jade Guardian here and then I'm ending up, I'm like pigeonholing myself into that white green archetype. Mm -hmm. Um, which Jade Guardian doesn't really fit into. Um, but, you know, like, like does a 3 3 hex proof on its own, is that fine? Like, I think this is where I'm losing that edge compared to maybe somebody with more success in the format um, or world championship, you know, Huey Jensen, right? Yeah, I want to pick up
0: on a phrase you just said, which is that you would take a green card fourth and you feel like you're pigeonholing yourself into white green. And this is something I want us to really take away here is that, like, do uh, you are still, it's still so early. And yes, like, the power level of the cards is low, and so you might be scrapping together playables more so than you're used to in formats. But don't be married to being white. I still think you have the ability to be like, especially if you had taken Tishana's Wayfinder and you grab the Jade Guardian here, I'd be thrilled. I'd be like, great, I've got a cool start. Like, I've my first two white picks, and I've got a yep. cool start to a Merfolk deck with the Wayfinder and the Jade Guardian. Okay. Like, I might think that that's a signal. Otherwise, or maybe I'm going to end up in some green-black deck and use the Jade Guardian with a Mark of the Vampire, and that's how I'll get the value out of that, or whatever. But I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm very cognizant of the fact that white has not shown up since my first two packs. Okay. Um, so definitely be aware of that. But yeah, we don't even have a black card to go with this. So what, what Huey grabs here is the Headstrong Brute, which is, at first glance, surprising to me because it's not a card I value very highly. But this is an aggressive format, And a 3-3 potential Menace is a big body in this format. And it does go well with either a red-black aggro deck, so pairing with the Bloodletter, or if white has just been dry in these few packs, then I can get a red-white deck, which a lot of pros going into the World Championship had identified as the best deck in the format, just red-white beats. And Headstrong Brute, Emissary of Sunrise, Glorifier of Dusk, pairs well with... is a great start for that kind of deck. Um, Interesting. So... I think upon further analysis, the Headstrong Brute pick makes a lot of sense, but I might have panicked here and just, like, grabbed Dusk Legion Dreadnought or something.
1: Mm-hmm. Something you were guaranteed to play, for example. For, yeah, exactly. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I wonder if, I wonder how high the pros are on the Headstrong Brute, um, because it does seem like a very high power-level card if you can get the payoffs. Or, I mean, and by payoffs, I mean, like, really just other pirate cards, because that's yeah. where it's at its best, right?
0: I mean, one of the strongest things I think you can do in this format is, like, if you go like Fathom Fleet Firebrand, the two drop mm-hmm. into Headstrong Group, into like Pirate's Cutlass Equip, and you've got a 5-4 Menace attacking on turn four, that's yeah. really tough to deal with in this format. I mean, because, I'm going to say this a lot, but the like the power level of the creatures is so flat, that's why I think cards like Pirate's Cutlass and One with the Wind and Mark of the Vampire and Swashbuckling keep going up and up for me, and I think a lot of players, um, because they're... and the removal in the set is so clunky that those creatures getting augmented in that way is just such a easy ways to get free wins. Yeah. Um,
1: Uh, Build your own bombs, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that is figuring that out in this past week has, I think led to my, like I've now started to evaluate cards a lot differently of like, I think premium two drops are, better than clunky removal spells. And I think those like one with the winds, pirates, cutlasses and mark of the vampires are really high picks. And just like trying to maximize ways that those premium creatures and good creature buffs pair together. Um,
1: So do you value curving out a little more in this format then so far?
0: For sure. So there's like quote unquote, playable one drops in every color. And that's not something we're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not used to seeing playable one drops ever, but the fact that, Two of the creature buffs are two drop enchantment spells that you can go one mana, one one into the two two buff is really tough to deal with. And a lot of that is getting out of the range of removal in the format. So, like, if you get a thing past three power, then the Vankers of the Week is dead. And they're waiting until your black opponent is waiting until turn five to contract killing something. And you've already gotten in eight, twelve points of damage with a card. So, like, those two cards paired together uh, are doing work, you know? Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, that that's I do value curving out in this format a lot. I'm like very conscious of my two-drop slot and how many creatures I have versus how many creature buffs I have. Um all right, so back to the drafted hand. Uh Huey picks up this headstrong brute and he goes on a bit of a tear. Pick five, there's nothing much to speak of except for another headstrong brute, so he grabs that. Pick six He's got a pack with a Stormfleet Pyromancer, which is the 5-mana 3-2 that has raid deal 2 to something, the Deadeye Plunderers, which is the 2-in-a-black raid discard, and another Headstrong Brute. So he just snaps up three of these in a row and sort of cements himself as at least knowing that he's going to be a red, aggressive pirate player. So, um, so
1: he's picking that up, obviously, as a signal, mm-hmm. and he's loading in. He's going all in on Headstrong Brute. So if you're at this point then... What are you hoping, like, what are the cards that are really going to, like, tie this all together for you, aside from a pirate's colors? Is there anything else specifically that you're looking for with, like, three headstrong Brutes?
0: With three Brutes, I am looking for, uh, I think Mark of the Vampire would be good if I think I'm going to be red-black, because a 5-5 Menace uh, lifelink is going to really help me race um, in this format, which I think a lot of, this format comes down to racing or breaking out of board stalls is sort of the two things I think happen a lot, because it's so uh, heavily creature-based. And I think the other thing I'm looking at is strong two drops so that I, and especially pirates so that I can maximize the three, three on not being able to block is not very good, but a three, three with menace is actually quite good in this format because you are going to be able to get two for ones. A lot of the time, if your opponent does try to double block it, you can, you know, use a sure strike or whatever to blow them out, a skullduggery, that sort of thing, um, But yeah, so I'm looking, I think probably still hoping to be red-white at this point, um, but really feeling like I'm getting these late Headstrong Brutes or late-ish Headstrong Brutes out of some pretty weak packs. So I'm just going to try and ride this red signal out and then see what else comes.
1: All right, perfect.
0: So uh, finishing out uh, the next couple picks before the wheel, and I think the wheel is a very important thing to talk about. Uh, So he grabs a Dire Fleet Interloper, which is the... 3 and a black 2-2 two, two Menace Explore creature. He grabs mm-hmm. that pick 7. So sticking to uh, the red-black side of things rather than the red-white side of things. I think he's probably given up on white at this point, especially because he just hasn't seen any. Um, and then in pick 8, he grabs a dual shot over a Ruthless Knave, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and I think that probably has to do, one, with the fact that there's just not time for the Ruthless Knave activations. This is the 3-mana three 3-2 three, that, like, you can sack a creature to get two treasure, and then you can sack three treasure to draw a card, which is like all the dirtling I want to do in this format, but it, it just doesn't seem like there's really time for that unless you're in like a blue-black control treasure deck. Um, so he grabs a dual shot, which is actually quite good against a lot of, like two of the best decks in the format, against Merfolk and against Vampires. Right? You can pick off two 1-1 Vampire Tokens, or you can pick off a couple X1 Merfolk. Um, I'm not sure where he's at in terms of main decking or sideboarding that, Um, And I also think that helps him stick to red in the chance that, like, let's say he grabs this dual shot here, he's got the three headstrong brutes, if he grabs two more red cards in the last few picks, then he's solidly red and he can do whatever he wants in the next pack, right? He can open a green bomb, maybe, and he didn't pass much green, so maybe he'll get hooked up in pack two. I just think, like, that sort of ability to go into pack two and say, well, I'm mostly just one color, and going from there, I think is a really powerful position to be in, and, and pretty ideal, generally. Right. Okay. So, we've got the dual shot in pick eight, and now pick nine, I think this is an important thing to think about. Very easy to do on Magic Online, because you can, like, sort of snip your deck, or your, your pack one, pick one, and then look and see what wheeled and what didn't, mm-hmm. um, or just get good at remembering the cards. Get good at remembering. Um, but this is a pretty good look for him because, as you'll remember, there weren't a lot of strong cards. But one of the cards we did pick out uh, was a uh, Dead Eye Tormentor,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's here in pick nine. So that's the, the the again the two and a black two two raid. So if he's going to be red black, this is a fine card. It's also a pirate, so that leaves him open to some more pirate synergies. Um, we've got an opt. Which is, I think, fine blue filler. Sun hunters, which is the four red red five four, uh, enrage deal three to a player. Uh, grim captain's call, which is the sort of like the uh, two in a black raised dead for each of the four tribal types, and hijack, which is the one red red uh, steal a thing for a turn. It gains haste. You can, and untap it. Um, so a couple like red filler cards and sun hunters and hijack, which makes me happy. A filler card in grim captain's call and. Deadeye Tormentor, which is the pick he made, which is a really, really fantastic card for red-black pirates.
1: Yeah, it, it kind of just fills in with, like, the it fills in really well with the Brutes, um, right? You can attack with a Brute and then play this after and give them menace after that. So I kind of like the, the pirate pick here over, I mean, Suncrown Hunter's six drop, like, that's that's just not what he's looking to do with the brutes if it was a six drop pirate maybe but like yeah um you know he's lining up to be super aggressive um with those brutes and a six drop is not not what he's looking for here so interesting okay so i'm I'm actually surprised that, that came around yeah um to be honest but like i guess if there's not much else for black mm-hmm. and he's not passing much black then maybe um you know maybe maybe it's just a shallow pack for black and
0: uh and he got paid off there so. yeah yeah so i think he's thrilled to see that Deadeye eye tormentor and probably solidifying himself into red black with that pick. Um, and then as he does with his next pick, he's presented with a pack with a, not much, a ravenous dagger tooth, which is a three, two dino and green and a queen's bay soldier, which is just the, just the two, two bear in black. And so he grabs that here, finishes out the pack with a sailor of means, a rummaging goblin, a ryle and a couple lands. Um, and so I've sort of, outlined in in our show notes here what his curve looks like, and you can sort of think about in your head, he's pretty heavy on three drops right now. Yep. So to wrap up pack one, it seems like he began with the most powerful cards out of each pack. He had no trouble abandoning white, picked up on some mediocre red, but that red was open and picked up on some playable black wheeling. So the things I'm thinking about when I move into pack two are, I'm probably red, black, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw white from the left in pack two. And so I could see myself being like, well, if I get hooked up in white from the left in pack two and then just grab red in pack three, I could probably piece together a good red-white deck. And my two white cards that I have are powerful. Um, But what is probably most correct for the seat is Mm -hmm. red-black. And I really need to prioritize two drops and removal at this point.
1: So, how powerful does the white have to be in order to entice you to go in it? Like, let's say you open uh, uh, Hawatli, the, the Walker uh-huh. and and well, like like is that enough for you to to like? Obviously, you can probably speculate on that, right? Yes. But then, like, what about the cards being passed to you? So, if in if pick two, like you see, what's a white card that would say I'm going to take this, even though there's a playable red and a playable black card? Like, are you going to speculate on that, or you or is the tiebreaker? You know, I'm going to go for a solid red card over a better white card because I know that I'm red for sure.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting question and I think a really hard thing to talk about in the abstract. So I wish we had some specifics, but I think the... Yeah, so Huatli is a great example because it's a stone-cold bomb and certainly Huatli plus our two white cards is better than the black that we have. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take that card and I'm going to try and toe the line as much as possible in that pack to stick to red before I have to make my decision. The interesting thing about being red-black in this format is that black and blue, blue more than black, but black actually has the ability to splash with treasures. So there's this is a sort of weird format where I could take Watley and still go, well, maybe I'm just going to be red-black and I can grab a couple contract killings and splash Watley that way, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe only have to run one planes if any, in my deck. Um, But yeah, I think I'm I'm still very open to that kind of a bomb or that kind of power level to swing me back into the white direction. Um, But then I'm going to be pretty careful about committing too hard to white in pack two if it's not there. Um, So those are the things I'm thinking about moving into pack two. Perfect. So, pack two, pick one, he opens up a pack, and the cards he brings to the front are Drowned Catacomb is the blue-black rare dual Land. Bonded Horncrest is the three and a red for the five-five that can't attack or block alone. Ixalan's Binding is the Oblivion Ring variant, Headstrong Brute, uh, our boy, and Toshana's Wayfinder, two and a green for the two-two Explorer.
1: Um, so... I mean, Bonded horncrest, like, it's just... It's a good enough red card, I think, right? And he plays really well with his Brutes. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think, like, you look at the Binding and you're like, wow, that's a really great card. Yeah. Um, but it's not it's not powerful enough, I think, to say, well, I'm going to risk it, right? Yeah. So you might as well take the red card here. Um, and then, you know, he's going to wish that maybe he had taken the drowned Catacomb if he seems something really good in, in blue-black in the next couple of packs. Right. Yeah, yeah. But,
0: I like, think... I think taking the Bonded Horncrest here is absolutely right, and I think it pairs super well with the like beef of the three Headstrong Brutes that he already has. I think Ixalan's Binding gets a knock in general in this format because Pious Interdiction at common is also four mana. So it's like, how many of these clunky four mana enchantment removal spells can I run? And like Mm -hmm. if you're white, you're going to get Pious Interdiction, so I think Ixalan's Binding is a little uh, worse than normal in that way. Um, But yeah, this is a sort of perfect example of like, yeah, Ixalan's Binding is better than Horncrest, but the Horncrest keeps us in red and doesn't make us decide what our second color is just yet.
1: All right. Okay.
0: All right. Pick two. He gets past hostage taker. Slam it. Yeah. I mean, there's a Skymarch blood letter in the pack, but if you're taking a black card here, you just have to take hostage taker. This is sort of the Hwatley example you gave is so apt here because there, there just aren't that many good rares in the format. Like, there's a handful of like windmill slam bombs, and Hostage Taker is absolutely one of them. So if I'm Huey, I'm slamming this. I'm basically deciding to be red-black at this point and splash blue. Mm-hmm. Of note, he does have a Sailor of Means that he picked up at the end of the last pack. So there is a chance, and blue is better than, at splashing than black is, that he could end up red-blue and splash black that way uh, with the treasures for Hostage Taker. I'm like, you know, a removal spell if he gets it.
1: Right. We haven't actually committed to anything here yet. Exactly. And
0: we're we're in the second pick of the second pack. We haven't committed. We know we're red. We know we want to play Hostage Taker. That's about it. And I think that's a really important mindset to have. Like, you've got basically two packs ahead of you. You've got a lot of decision points to make. And I think it's very easy for players to do what we want to do, which is like, well, I took Glorifier of Dusk first, and I took Emissary of Sunrise second, and I want to play those cards because they're good. But like, if that's not the deck that the table's going to let you draft, you need to be aware of that.
1: Yeah, you have to feel like your first pick is not wasted. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like think about, like, what I wish I could track what percentage of time I didn't play my first pick. Um, and it's probably higher than it should be. Um, but, but I try to be, and trying to work toward this, is to be very conscious of, like, you know, pick one, you can put it aside, and, like, the odds that you get to play that card are maybe 50-50. Like who knows? Unless unless you're forcing it, right? So yeah. um, like don't feel bad. Like flip the coin and, and see what happens. Um, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Don't don't feel bad if you have to put those cards aside. So drowned catacomb we saw in in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the the first pick here. What do you think the odds of that wheels? Because that wheeling seems like that would be like a a, a huge victory for this hostage taker pick.
0: Would be a huge victory. I don't think it's a considerate. I don't think he's like. Uh, being influenced by the fact that Drowned Catacomb is could make its way around the table in his taking hostage taker, but I mm-hmm. think he's definitely aware of it. I don't know what the odds of it going around are. Like, if what are the odds that someone is either blue or, that someone is a blue black? Because if they're blue black, they're going to take that out of that pack. But if they're not, it's probably going to make its way back to you. Would be my guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one's money drafting for the whatever five dollar rare. $5. This thing is, yeah. Um, so I think I think it's safe to say that unless someone is a blue black drafter at the table, which is likely, um, that it could make its way back to him. But we okay. know it's not the person to our left because why in the heck would they pass hostage taker?
1: Bingo. That's one thing that we know for sure in this draft,
0: right? Um, so, pick three, he gets a past Blood Crazed Vampire. This is the one in a black rare for the 1 1 that has flash and enters the battlefield. You get a plus 1 plus 1 counter on it for each creature that died that turn. Not a very strong card, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Deadeye Tormentor, a Fiery Cannonade, which is two in a red. Or people are calling this Pirate Clasm. I don't know if you've heard that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, two in a red for the uh, instant deal two to all non pirate creatures. And Deep Root Warrior, the premium Merfolk 2-drop, 1 and a green for the 2-2, gets plus 1 if it gets blocked.
1: Oh man, my white-green deck is looking mediocre right about now. (laughs) I do love me a Deep Root Warrior, but um, I mean, Fiery Cannonade is reasonable, I Mm -hmm. guess, if you're you're light on removal right now. Um, And the fact that it doesn't hit many of your creatures, like it hits the Queen's Bay Soldier and the Bloodletter, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. So um, I've only ever cast this once, and it's been okay but I'm sure that I'm in the minority on that one. I'm sure it's better than it than I see.
0: I'm sort of with you here, Dave. I, I'm not crazy about this card. I recognize that it owns the Vampire deck pretty hard and can own the Merfolk deck pretty hard. Um, and sure, it doesn't hit most of our creatures right now, but I'm not thrilled about this card. But again, this keeps us the most open to take this card right now. It's probably going to go in our deck. It'll probably be good against most of our opponents in some way. We'll be able to craft a way to probably just maybe even get just a, a, make it a one for one if it's not a complete blowout. Um, But I think it's better to take that here than another three drop creature, like the Deadeye Tormentor, which might be like stronger in a vacuum, but it keeps us red. We know we can play this card and we know it will be not terrible and it can be quite good in some matchups. So I'm not surprised that this is the pick he makes here. Okay uh pick four uh gets a couple blue cards here a water trap weaver and a sailor of means and also a brazen buccaneers which is the three and a red haste two two with explore
1: yeah so um this is kind of your decision point right like yeah which way are you going are you going blue or are you going black um but then again there's this red card here and and you've been preaching this all along is it's like Stay red, stay red, stay red, and don't make your decision until you have to. Right. So, is this the time that you pull the the, the trigger? Or I think I would be more.
0: I would be tempted here to take Sailor of Means because it helped because I've already got one Sailor of Means now, and I'm so aware of the fact that my curve just looks like nothing, nothing, everything in the three drop slot, nothing, nothing, nothing. So I'm very nervous about taking t- taking Sailor of Means here. But this draft is not going great. It's going okay, but it's not going great. But I know I have a fantastically powerful card in Hostage Taker, and I just want to maximize the ability to play that. And Sailor of Means helps me do that. So I would be, and I'm not a huge fan of Brazen Buccaneers, um, especially in, I mean, just really in any deck, but in this sort of beefy deck, like going brute into maybe a 2-2 Haster, like, I don't know, that's not very exciting to me. Um, So I think I would be tempted by the Sailor of Means and lean towards Blue-Red with a splash for Hostage Taker and potentially other cards. Mm -hmm. Um, But Huey leads... Uh, brazen Buccaneers here. What, what what would you do?
1: I'm looking at the Weaver to be honest. So yeah. I know that we passed a couple early, but like they seem to play really well with the Brutes, mm-hmm. right? Like if you if you go Brute into Weaver or like Brute Brute into Weaver, um, you can get a lot of damage through. So um, and, and maybe I'm not as maybe I'm not rating Sailor of Means high enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in a vacuum, I'm always taking Weaver over Sailor of Means. It seems. I t- um, and totally I agree. agree. And and so like maybe I'm letting that cloud my judgment here, but mm-hmm. um you know I think I might take the Weaver here, and I'm not really high on the Buccaneers, but yeah. he takes the Buccaneers, and you know, maybe he's you know maybe he knows more about it than I do, um, I'm certain that he does, but like it's also just a red card.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? I think I think that's what it comes down to. It's a red card. It pairs well like somewhat well with the Brutes. It pairs well with the fiery cannonade. It delays his decision one pick longer with a card that he can play in his deck and not be incredibly embarrassed about. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so he grabs the Buccaneers, moves on to pick five. He's got uh, Dragon Skull Summit, which is the black-red dual land at rare. Uh, Dire Fleet Interloper, uh, that's the, again, the two two Menace with Explore in black. Uh, Another Water Trap Weaver and a Pious Interdiction here, the, the pacifism effect.
1: That's the only white card that we've seen. Well, I guess we saw X Lens Binding, but we opened that. Right? We opened that, yeah. It doesn't really count. It doesn't really count. So, I mean, if I took the Weaver in the previous pack, I'm taking the Weaver here, and mm-hmm. I'm like shifting my black into blue. Yep. Um, that would be me. But the Dragon Soul Summit. This is interesting. So like, I don't know the highest that I've picked a dual land. I've probably haven't picked one more than like on the wheel or earlier than on the wheel. Mm-hmm. So like, where would you consider taking uh one of these? Like they're they're good lands if you know your. Red and probably black, or you're splashing mm-hmm. for for the the hostage shaker. Mm-hmm. Where are you taking Dragon Skull Summit? Like, this seems early. This seems late. Like, when is when is this when is a is good time? to a, take Again, it? this
0: is this is tough. I think as, if I had gone Sailor of Means, especially, then I think I would take the Dragon Skull Summit here. Though actually, probably if I had gone Sailor of Means, I would then probably just go Water Trap Weaver and decide to be blue, red, splash, black. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And I think a reason that Dragon Skull Summit can't really be the pick here is just for how weird and waffly this draft has been so far, especially pack one, losing out on a number of picks, and the fact that picks dry up pretty fast at the end of the packs. You want to be on like track to grab about seven to eight playables out of each pack so that you can make your 23, 24 playables at the end of the draft. And grabbing lands there is great if you think you're going to be at a surplus of playables, but grabbing the land here when we're sort of we've lost a lot of picks is a little dangerous, I think. So I'm not surprised to see Huey pass up on the land here and uh, grab a spell that he can actually play. Um, so that that seems right to me. But I, if if the draft had gone a different way and I felt better about what my colors were or felt better about my options in terms of playables, I would be tempted to grab Dragon Skull Summit here. Okay. Um Um,
1: so and he picked the Interloper mm -hmm. uh for reference sake, so he's really planted like, you know, he's he's black, is what he's saying, I think, with his pick, right?
0: It seems like it. I mean, Water Trap Weaver is a better card than Dire Fleet Interloper, um, but Water Trap Weaver doesn't like that's just like a red-blue good stuff deck, whereas Interloper is like, I'm pirates, I'm a red-black pirates deck. Like, yeah. I've got a bunch now he's got two interlopers and three headstrong brutes, he's got a bunch of Menace creatures that are tough to block, and hopefully that'll just get the job done.
1: Yeah, because that'll bring him up to five menace creatures if my count is correct. Mm-hmm. Right with with a, with a flyer on top of that—that's a lot of evasion.
0: And all of those creatures survive fiery cannonade. So if your opponent's attempting to like double block with some derpy creatures, you can get those like get a, a blocker or two out of the way, and your creatures are not going to be harmed in that interaction. Okay. All right, so pick six. Uh, he sees a couple strong green cards, a Pounce and a Thundering Spineback, which is the Dino Lord and uncommon, and a Suncrowned Hunters, which is the, the four red, red, five, four in rage. Um, so I'm like bummed to see those green cards, but not much you can do about it. So no, It's ra- way too late. Yeah. So he just grabs the Suncrowned Hunters here. Uh, before the wheel, he finishes out the pack, grabbing a March of the Drowned, which is pretty great here for him, especially with the number of pirates he has um march of the drowned is a card that keeps going up and up for me in any combination of pirate decks and i'm even looking to splash it off of some treasure in a red blue pirate deck um just because the ability to get a clean two for one for one mana is really really good um that's the the raised dead that raises two pirates from the dead if you have two pirates in your yard yeah
1: um, i mean how many pirates like do you need before you're prioritizing this card like do you have like a number like are you looking at, like half your deck as pirates like three quarters of your deck
0: Yeah, Um, I'm. so I I think it also is, uh, I don't have to be getting a 2 for 1 off this card if I have a few powerful spells in my deck, like a Hostage Taker, like let's say Hostage Taker wasn't a pirate, or like Charging Monstrosaur is a card that I think about a lot, because I'm just like, that's just a card that will be, that's that's worth more than a card to raise dead mm -hmm. for one mana, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So if you've got a couple of creatures that you wouldn't be embarrassed about just grabbing that one thing back... And then you've got, I don't know, eight pirates. Like, it's probably not going to be that hard for you to get a two-for-one or a powerful creature from your graveyard if you're casting this. Um, so And and if I'm nearing a sort of, like, critical mass of pirates, if almost all my creatures are pirates, I'm playing two of these, three of these. Like, I, I really think this card is very, very uh, powerful just because there's not a lot of card advantage engines in the format like this mm-hmm. is.
1: I'm, I'm not too proud to say that I've marched it around, like, a water trap weaver. Right to to try to like win the game on the yeah. spot kind of thing, right? So like, there's there's all sorts of utility, and I, and I, it has been going up for me as well. Um, I do find that it doesn't come around as often as it used to. I think, and I think mm-hmm. people are picking up on that. So um, you know, I might even prioritize it in pack two if I know that I'm pirates for sure. So yeah, I'm a big fan of this card.
0: Okay, so he gets to pick eight, and he's presented with uh, the only he's got a red card of Otopec Huntmaster, which is the Dino. Diners are cheaper, and they can be hasty in red. So a red card, but not really what we want. A costly plunder, the one in a black sack of creature or a treasure or an artifact, but generally a treasure, to draw two cards. And prosperous pirates, the uh, four and a red 3-4 that makes two treasures. Or four and a blue 3-4 that makes two treasures. Which mm-hmm. is what he ends up grabbing here, which is a little surprising to me. Um, I wonder if this is just a maybe, maybe, maybe I have to be blue-red pick from him because if it's not i would think that he would want to grab the costly plunder here just cuz he could actually play it I, I can't imagine he in in his black red deck thinks he's going to play prosperous pirates what do you think
1: um i mean i think i think with costly plunder i think unless you're sacking treasures it's not it's not very good like we've talked about where alter's reap is not that great and it's basically that unless you're sacking treasures right so mm-hmm. um but you're right there's not a lot of card advantage in the format and i've I've been trying to kind of pump the tires on costly plunder because I think it probably goes in like a like a blue black or a, a blue red treasure style deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it doesn't. You can't like you're you're not splashing it. So yeah, blue black is really where you want it to be. Um, but yeah, no, this is almost just a throwaway pick. Um, it yeah. feels like to me, right? So I could see him hedging into blue there. That's what it feels like,
0: because, you know, again, if he's short on playables, one costly plunder is not the most embarrassing thing you can do in a deck. Like, you're probably going to be able to respond to a removal spell with it, or, you Mm -hmm. know, sacrifice a a treasure as the ideal, or sacrifice a creature that's just sort of been outclassed on the current board state. Um, And he doesn't already have a copy of it, so I'm sort of surprised at this pick. But probably not something worth super overanalyzing. He might have just been like, ah... You know, I did see the March of the Drowned, but maybe blue is where I'm supposed to be, and I'll see blue in the third pack or whatever. But if that is the case, I think it's really interesting that even in pick eight of pack two, he's still like, maybe I'm blue red.
1: Mm -hmm. Interesting.
0: And like, that's an okay place to be. It's not ideal, but it's an okay place to be. So pick nine... Hallelujah! Drowned Catacomb comes around.
1: Oh, it did. I didn't even. Sc- I I didn't cheat. I swear to God, I didn't scroll. Oh, you down that didn't. Far. That's so funny. I no, thought you No, I didn't. I thought I you were didn't. really no. setting this up. No, no, no. Because like, because it's it's that thing, right? Like where where the cards are, like or the packs are so thin, right? And mm. and when your best card is like a like a three, three for 4, you know, it feels real bad to take a land early. Yeah. And so I like I didn't think that it that anybody would pick it up. Right? Yeah. If you're blue black, there's probably like a blue three drop or a black three drop you would rather play in the pack. So to see this here, I think is is this is the time to pick it up. I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. So he he's probably just so thrilled right now. He gets to grab the Drowned Catacomb, makes casting Hostage Taker way easier for him, at no cost to his mana base. Um, so pretty easy pickup here. He ends uh, rounds out the pack with. Uh, a Wily Goblin over a Rummaging Goblin in pick 10. I think he already had grabbed a Rummaging Goblin at the end of the first pack, um, but Wily Goblin is that atrocious red-red 1-1 red that makes a treasure. Um, grabs a Stormfleet Arsonist, a couple Queens Agents, and a couple lands to end pack two. Um, okay. So it feels like at the end of pack two, he's solidly in red-black and maybe missed out on some blue. I think there is a world where the pack could have gone red-blue, splashing black for Hostage Taker, and maybe for, like, March of the Drowned. Um, He grabbed... Oh, wait. No, that's that's the last pack. That that note I have here is incorrect. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, He still is really heavily weighted towards the 3 and 4 drop slots. He desperately needs 2 drops, and he desperately needs removal. Other than Fiery Cannonade and Hostage Taker, he doesn't have any spot removal.
1: We didn't see a single contract killing, lightning strike, uh, mm-hmm. unfriendly fire. I call it garbage fire. There's, <laughs> there's, we haven't seen a single one, right? Haven't seen anything. A dual shot in pack one.
0: Yeah, so that's what he's—he's got to really prioritize two drops and removal. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him take some two drops over some removal spells, depending on how they matched up. Okay. So moving into pack three, and I I do think this is something you want to do. I mean, you see the players uh, when you watch these drafts at at GPs or pro tours where they have a moment to sort of look through their pile in between the packs, right? And I think it's very important. In Magic Online, you always get the chance to look at uh, what you've got in your pile, what your curve looks like. Um, So you need to go into these packs with an idea of what am I looking for? What's going to make this deck good, right? What are the the things I need to be thinking about that is different than just raw card evaluation from pack one, pick one, because that's not where you're at here. Mm-hmm. So in pack three, uh, he opens up, uh, he's got a Deathless Ancient, which is the four black, black vampire, four, four flyer that you can recur if you've got three vampires to tap. Thrash of Raptors, which is uh, three and a red for the three, three dino that gets plus two plus oh and trample if you've got another dino. Queen's Bay Soldier, which is just the one in a black two, two vanilla creature.
1: See, I know this is the difference between me and Huey, is that th- to me this is the world's saddest queens Bay soldier, and uh-huh. to him it's probably the most exciting queen Base soldier because it's a two-drop and he needs them.
0: Yeah. I, like, if you had told me at the start of the format that I'd be excited to first pick this card, I would have called you crazy. But this is the, the part where he needs to take this. Um, and I'm only listing, like, red, black, and blue cards at this point because listing good green or white cards is not really important. So- mm-hmm. We we know we are solidly red and probably solidly red black um, and maybe splashing some blue other than just the um, hostage taker. Um, but so yeah, we said we needed two drops in removal. We've got a two drop here. We're gonna grab it. Queen's Bay soldier. Welcome to the team.
1: Uh, I mean, I was gonna say that's a really good example of like sticking to your like co- uh, like committing to something and sticking to your convictions. So, yeah. Right. So like taking taking a six drop that is not that great. Obviously, you don't want to. And Thrash Raptors doesn't do anything. But if those are even like just playable four or five or six drops right you mm-hmm. we'll probably still have to take the two drop here um, yeah. and and i think you have to stick to it you have to stick to your curve stick to your guns and and really commit to to rounding out your deck i think i think a lot of drafters and i've fallen prey to this myself where i get you know tunnel vision on the on the bomby rare or the or the bomby six drop and i'm like mm-hmm. man this, this is great and then my two drop spot is awful or my removal
0: spot is awful so yeah s- stick to it discipline this format is very aggressive and when you don't have a 2 turn uh, turn 2 play on the draw and your opponent does on the play, you can fall behind very quickly. And especially the fact that 3 of Huey's 3 drops can't block. How terrible for him on the on the draw to go no turn 2 play, 3 3 that can't block on turn 3. He's not winning that game if his opponent has any sort of respectable start.
1: Yeah, exactly. So
0: he's really got to think about what his two drop slot is doing. All right, pick two. Uh, he's seeing a Dire Fleet Interloper. Uh, that's the 2 2 Menace Explorer. Uh, Duskly Engine Dreadnought, that clunky big uh, vehicle. Marauding Looter, which is uh, 2 blue red for the 4 3 that has raid. If you attack this turn, you can loot end of turn. Uh, Skittering Heartstopper, the 1 black 1 2 that can get Death Touch. And Sure Strike, 1 in red, plus 3, plus 0, first strike.
1: Um, I kind of like Sure Strike, to be honest, but, like, I think the Looter's probably strong enough that, um, and because we have the land already, that it's, it's an easy splash. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm really leaning that direction, but, like, man, like, sticking to my conviction, sticking my guns here, like, am I looking at a Heartstopper or a Sure Strike? Because it's, it rounds out the curve, and Sure Strike is, like, probably decent removal at this point for us. Like, beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. Um, so, like... Yeah, I really don't know what I would take, and, and this is where I, I mentally check out of the <laughs> process, and I defer to the experts because I might be lost at this point.
0: I, I think I would just take Heartstopper here, actually. Um, I'm just worried about, I'm worried about my early curve, and I'm worried about that scenario I just described where we're on the draw, and I don't have anything to do until turn three, and that thing can't block. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would grab Heartstopper. I, it's a one-drop that scales well with the game, um, so like, I'm not embarrassed to draw this late and I'm happy to have it early. So I think I would grab that here. I am a little surprised to see Huey grab Marauding Looter. I mean, of course it is heads and shoulders above the Heartstopper and power level, but it means he's going to be, I mean, if you're taking this here, I think you have to be playing it because you're taking it early in the pack. So you're missing out on like, as the pack picks go later and later, you're missing out on power level, right? The power level gets lower and lower because there's fewer cards to pick from. Um, So I think if you're taking a powerful card like this early, you're going to be playing it, and I'm kind of surprised to see that considering how high his curve is right now, or how heavy his curve is in the 3 and 4 drop area. But Mm -hmm. uh, he does grab that here, and I assume he's just like all right to splash the blue, and um, is going to be playing it and hoping to get some good raid value off of it. All right, pick 3. He gets a really good um, breath of fresh air here with a Lightning Strike. But sad to see it in the same pack as a Fathom Fleet Firebrand, um, which is a lot closer here for me than it probably should be. Um, I still think you can't pass Lightning Strike, but if this were Fire Cannon Blast, I would take Fathom Fleet Firebrand over it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just just this area I keep describing. I just need I need yep. I need that two drop. And again, if it was Queen's Bay soldier, no, I would not do that. But Fathom Fleet Firebrand, again, it scales so well with the game. Like I'm good. When I draw this on turn 5, it's still not embarrassing. It can still trade up. Um, it's a mana sink if I get flooded. It's like a, a good thing to curve out with. So I do like that card a lot. But lightning strike, we need it. We have no removal. It's a premium removal spell. Just slam that. Yeah. Um pick four. Uh, we see a Sleek Schooner, um, a card that some podcast co-host is pretty high on, I think. That's the 4-3 artifact uh, vehicle is Crew 1. Um, Tillinali's knight, which is the one in a red for a 2-2. Two, two. gets bigger when it attacks if you have a dino. And Vanquish the Week, 2 in a black for the destroy target creature with power 3 or less.
1: I mean, I guess if you're uh, if the removal's not here, you're not embarrassed to take the Tillinali's knight, yeah. even though you have no dinosaurs. But yeah. I mean... Removal. We just said this, right? Yeah. You need your removal. And this yeah. this gives you what? Three pieces? Four pieces of removal? Yeah.
0: Uh, I guess depending on how you're counting uh, that dual shot that we grabbed in pack one. But yeah, now now I'm not feeling too bad in the removal department. We've got a lightning strike, we've got a Vanquish the week. And with the headstrong brutes, picking off the small things is what we're gonna want to be doing anyway. So I'm not super worried that we don't have a contract killing or something of that nature yet. Um so yeah, I think Vanquish the Week has to happen here. I mean, I, as you'll see these With the game plan that we have in mind coming into this third pack, these picks are sort of auto-picking themselves a little bit, um, uh, apart from the Marauding Looter Heartstopper pick. Um, Pick five, he's presented with another Brute and a Stormfleet Pyromancer, but he gets a Dire Fleet Hoarder, that's the two-drop, two-one, that when it dies, you make a treasure, so snap that up. Pretty happy to see that because of the treasure as well. Yeah, absolutely. That That's not only going to help him, like, let's say that dies on turn two, then he can play a four drop, but that treasure also helps him splash for his blue cards. Yep. Yeah. Um, he grabs a Brazen Buccaneers. This is actually a pretty surprising pick to me. He, he's got two red cards in the pack. Brazen Buccaneers, that's the haste explorer for three and a red, and a Raptor Hatchling, which is the one and a red one-one that when it's dealt damage, you make a three-three.
1: I really like the Raptor Hatchling. Am I just wrong?
0: No. I mean, it's not beating down but i think it, just like uh, what i keep saying I, I would want a two drop here he's only he has what i think he has four of them now so yeah. having a fifth one is not bad like that that's about where i want to be in the format and i think raptor Ratching is pretty good like chump blocks or god forbid it can trade with an x1 and you get a three three i think that's uh a really really good two drop i mean it's t- totally fine it's not very synergistic in his deck but i still think fine but so this, this is a pick that surprises me a little bit um
1: yeah i like i look at raptor hatchling and it's almost like it has death touch in in the way that it warps the early game where mm-hmm. like your opponents aren't attacking into it with two twos right and and you don't have to leave up mana for it it also plays well with the um the the four drop they can't attack or block
0: alone yeah that's true i hadn't thought about that
1: right so like it gives you something to swing with on turn 4 or turn 5 with this thing um and and you're kind of okay if it gets blocked right mm-hmm. so uh, that that surprises me and I'm not a big fan of the buccaneers so um yeah I, i'm i'm sure that he knows more about where he wants to be but it's a pirate yeah right and maybe he's looking for things to enable the brutes more than than a, a two drop at this point so yeah Interesting pick.
0: It is. It is very interesting. And maybe he's thinking about the fact that he might not have something to do on turn two, and so going headstrong, brute, turn three into a hasty attacker is a pretty good place to be. So Pretty good place to be. Um, he Before the wheel, he rounds out, rounds out the pack with a Sure Strike, which is great. I, I think he definitely wants to have one of these in his deck, and he's able to grab one here over a couple black creatures of the of Dire Fleet Interloper and Ruthless Knave. And then he gets a pick 8, he grabs a Fiery Cannonade, number 2, over a Deadeye Tormentor, which I think is not surprising, Um, and I think he was able to craft some pretty good uh, results with those Cannonades in his deck, and all those, that that seems like a a nod in the Brazen Buccaneers pick direction, just being able to grab that. Um, And he wheels a couple, he wheels that flying uh, 6-drop Vampire out of the first pack, not super surprising, uh, not super exciting either. Um, another dire Fleet Interloper gets a late Stormfleet Pyromancer, pick 13, which is really nice. That's the um, 3-2 raid deal 2 or something. Um, and that finishes out the, the draft for him.
1: The Pyromancer seems like a nice little late pickup. Yeah. Right? Like, given that he's got so many Brutes that are attacking most of the time anyway, um, it feels like it upgrades one of his 4-drops for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, and so he ends with a, a, a pretty... I think a little more weighted towards three and four mana cost creatures, uh, but a pretty good aggressive red, black pirate deck um, grabbed a few crucial pieces of removal has one of the best rares in the format in hostage taker and is going to be able to play it pretty easily. So all in all, not a, not a terrible draft, but I think it certainly could have gone many different directions had he mainly just stuck to the white that was in, that it was in his first few picks. I think that his ability to abandon those was uh, what led him to figuring out what the correct deck for his seat was.
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the th- one, a couple of things that I, that I noticed here. So like looking at this this draft as a whole, mm-hmm. and, and like um trying to figure out somebody that is a master of the game and, and how they're thinking through here. So like obviously you see that like you know abandoning white, abandoning his early picks. That's that's something that we can all work on. Mm-hmm. But I think I think there's a lot of picks here where he takes. The not obvious pirate pick for example when we are thinking about other cards and i think that that you can see him trying to make these synergies work you can see him really focusing around these three brutes mm-hmm. and the and the fiery cannonade to try to make it work with the 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 brazen buccaneers pick for example so you can see him kind of manufacturing these synergies out of his deck whereas i might have taken a raptor because i need a two drop but he's obviously looking at at a much larger picture than i think we are which is which is kind of fascinating to me because I, like i feel like i'm I'm like not quite the first level, like I'm probably the second level mm-hmm. but but then thinking about this and looking at his approach to this, he's almost like third fourth fifth level um and and it just surprises me that the gap that the gap between him and i is is so large, like obviously he's played much more than me, but it's like is there that much of an edge between, you know, picking a pirate knowing that he's going to be playing it with haste on turn four with the mm-hmm. brood already on board on turn three, whereas I'm like, I need a two drop, right? Like, is there that much of a gap between his thinking and my thinking? And I think that there is. And that, like, I'm not shocked by it, but I think it surprises me a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I think that I've played enough that I should know these things that I should see some of these things. So I think it's really interesting to look at that as a whole. And, um, and, and I can see why he's a master of the game. And, um, I, I wish I could watch more of his drafts basically and learn.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think these high level draft viewer things are so important to look at because of what you just said. Like he, these picks are not accidental. He is, he's very aware of what he's passing, what he's getting past, what is in his pile, what sort of deck he's putting together, how those cards are going to play out in the matches that he plays. He's thinking about all of that when he's drafting. So those so sorts of picks, the brazen buccaneers over the Raptor hatchling why is he doing that? And why am I not making that pick? And what are the things in my card evaluations or my draft evaluations that I want to look at that might enable me to make the same pick that he would make? You know, I'm, I feel pretty good that most of my decisions line up with his, but still a lot of them, I'm a little like, oh, I probably would have hedged here. I probably would have maybe gone blue or I, I wouldn't have stuck with with red so for so long. And I would have maybe decided to be red black sooner or anything like that. I think, uh, I think examining those decisions is a really important thing to do.
1: And like each individual pick that we may have differed, right? Maybe we're only talking about a a half a percent or a percentage point on like the expected win rate of a deck, let's say, right? Hmm. But you add all of those edges up and if he's beating us by half a percent on five or six or seven picks, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's a lot of difference between us and him. And, um, and I think it just, it, it, it shines a light on how important some of these seemingly unimportant picks are sometimes yeah and you kind of have to be aware and be paying attention to almost every single pick um if you really want those edges and that's where these really good players you know yourself the pros for example um it's not just a one one small edge where they get you it's the incremental edges in the draft and in the gameplay and you know it's not just playing perfect it's drafting perfect as well yeah and um, i mean you can't always draft perfectly but if you can find those small edges here and there, um, and and kind of construct, manufacture positions where you can win later when you're actually playing the games. I think, um, you know, that'll improve your win rate quite a bit. So I think we take for granted that the draft sometimes is draft itself when really, especially me, I should be stepping back and thinking to myself about every single pick, um, and putting into those perspectives. So super interesting. I'm glad that you shared this with us. This is... This has been outstanding to look at.
0: Yeah, I think I, I mean I think it's very easy to just do like a a, a pack one pick one or a, a few picks, but really very cool to get to to look at an entire draft and see how someone as incredibly skilled as William Hugh Jensen is uh at navigating that.
1: Outstanding. No, I, yeah, I think this is this is great. So um I mean, we're pretty much coming up on the hour mark, so I oh, think snap. we We stretched it out, and you know, actually we're good, because we hit all the questions I wanted to talk about. Great. Um, So unless you had anything else in in particular you wanted to talk about in Ixalan in general or anything like that, we can slide it in here. Yeah, I
0: just want to just wrap up the sort of like checkpoints throughout the draft that we sort of hit on. So in in my mind, I think for picks one through three, it's really important to just take the most powerful card out of the pack. Um, And as we talked about, like weighing the power level of that card with the cards you already have in your pile. So like is this blue card better than the white card I would pick plus the white card I already have that sort of thing. Um, So
1: in these picks one, one and one through three, one of the questions I wanted to ask you and get your take on is, are you giving weight to one type of card over another early? So for example, are you picking removal higher in this format or most formats than, than creatures?
0: I I do generally like subscribe to the, the bread mentality uh, the like Mm -hmm. bombs, removal, evasion, that sort of thing. Um, This format I have been shifting, and I've I've shifted the past week, and that I think has led to my success, but I also think that there are many paths in this format to that. But I think this format rewards uh, curving out and rewards being able to do something on the draw when your opponent is curving out. So I am prioritizing premium two drops higher than uh, clunky removal spells, and I am prioritizing the... Specifically, pirates cutlasses, one with the winds, mark of the vampires. Maybe not mark so much. Pirates cutlass and one with the wind. Uh, higher than a lot of like good creatures. Um, like I am so happy to take a bishop soldier pack one pick one. The like one in a white two two life linker. I just think that card is fantastic, and I am not embarrassed i think two weeks ago i'd have been like oh my god i can't believe i'm first picking this and now i'm like great oh perfect Uh, something that has lifelink on it in an aggressive format something i can play on turn two great because i mean i'll get a pious interdiction and if i don't have removal it's not the end of the world like there's a lot of the things that happen in this format are combat based so if i don't have removal then maybe i can grab a slash of talons and that's my like combat based removal, or I grab a sure strike and that's going to be some sort of pseudo removal. Um, so usually I'm, I'm very nervous about not having a lot of removal as I, I go to my deck building. But in this format, I think you can, you know, make your, make your own removal. Your, your dive down can do a pseudo removal impression, you know, um, mm-hmm. if you needed to. So the, okay. I think this, this format is a little different in that respect. Um, But I am prioritizing the bombs of the format very highly and trying to to make them work in my deck. If I open a hostage taker, you better believe I'm doing all I can to not end up white-red that draft and not be able to play my hostage taker. Okay. So we move into uh, picks four through eight, and I think this is where you can really identify signals. I think it's pretty hard to identify what's quote-unquote open in the first few picks because, like, someone could have taken a rare or someone could have, you know auto-picked on magic online or whatever you know you, you there's a foil missing and that you can't account for but here i think you can really start to go wait river herald's boon fifth i think merfolk is open or anointed deacon fifth pick oh maybe people to my right are not playing vampires um so i think that's where you can not only identify the open colors but maybe in this format especially identify the open tribe for your seat Um, so that's where I, I, am trying to figure out what's going later than I think it should based on my evaluations, which is all you really can do. Mm -hmm. Um, and picks nine through 12, I think you want to look at what's wheeling. Like, I think it's important to notice, oh, this card came around. I'm surprised it's still here. Or I thought for sure this card would still be here and it's not. So there's no way that green is open, right? That, that means that there are three green drafters at the table or at least three people who are interested in the green cards in this pack, that sort of thing. So what, what are you taking note of the things that, that are coming back to you? And then having a game plan entering pack two. W- what are you looking for? Are you solidly in two colors? Do you feel like you can't sway from that? Do you feel like you're solidly in one color and you've got feelers into a few others and you're open to opening any kind of bomb? Like if I open Burning Sun's Avatar in pack two, can I play that? Can I take mm-hmm. that and, and be red, or am I too uh, set on being blue, black, and I just like can't make that work? Um, what what splashing abilities do I have? I think these are things you want to ask yourself going into pack two and, and pack three. Of like, how many treasure makers do I have? Am I able to sort of still be open to to opening something powerful in this format, or do I really just have to stick to my guns and take removal and take early plays? And then as pack two flows. Are you being cut out of what you thought you were in? Or are you seeing the colors that you thought you would be seeing? Do you feel like your effective cut of black in pack one is now allowing black to come to you from the left? Or are you not seeing black from the left and you've got to now pivot to something else and rely on the black being open in pack three because it was in pack one? That sort of thing. Um, and then, as we saw Huey do entering pack three, what are the holes in your deck? What do you need? Do you need creatures? Do you need removal? What's your curve considerations? What do you like? Do you really have to take removal over everything? Do you have to take a two drop over everything? Like, do you already have five removal spells? That kind of thing. Uh, what's your playable count at? Do, can you afford to? I think that's another thing to think about as you go into pack two. Like, do you already have ten playables? Can you afford to make some hedge picks, or are you at? Are you entering pack three with thirteen playables and you really have you have to get ten playable cards out of this pack and you can't make any mistakes. You can't hedge at all. So I think those are the sorts of things that you want to keep in mind at those different decision points in the draft.
1: Mm -hmm. That's fascinating that like uh, the drafts can go so drastically different. Like you can have all the playables in pack one, you have no playables in pack one, you have five different colors in pack one. It's just crazy. Um, And I've been seeing it a lot in this format where, Sometimes I just don't know in pack one and sometimes pack one is so easy that, um, you know, that there's, there's the wide, there's a gambit of all this, the spectrum in between kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and um, it's just entirely fascinating. I love how the drafts come together and you always seem to end up with a playable deck at the end. And I think that's just limited in general these days is it's really tough to have an unplayable deck. Right. Um, like you're going to win some matches with just a pile of cards. And, um, but man, it feels good to not have just a pile of cards. It's, <laughs> I love it when it comes together in pack three and you open some sick bomb. But I mean, you're, you're right though. It's like, you know, I really like going into pack two and looking at my thing. And it's like, if I open, like, what am I looking to open? Mm -hmm. And, 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 and you know, and for example, am I excited to be able to splash something like hostage taker? It's like, great. I'm already blue. We're we're go blue, black. Or I'm like, I'm blue, red. I can splash that black, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. Just like, just like Huey got past that hostage taker, and those are the kinds of things I like to line myself up for. So you and I, we, we line up quite well, but um, but I'm still behind you in success rate on that one. So I'm gonna have to catch <laughs> up. I'm gonna listen to this podcast again. I'm gonna make notes Ooh. as we go th- as I go through. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna do the the old re listen as I edit here. So I think nice. you taught me a lot.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, this is and, and, super fun. And,
1: and I mean, Huey taught me a lot here as well. Yeah, I
0: think he, he's he's really he's really the expert here for sure.
1: Do we have to give him credit? like on the on like the the i m d b listing for this do we have to like throw him as an honorable probably the, at, least, that, at least at least yeah? source
0: material right source source material yeah. i like it so <laughs> okay
1: um yeah, no, that's that's a great discussion, uh, and, and I hope our listeners got a lot of value out of that. So I did promise at the opener here that uh, we'd have some homework for you, and for those that are frequent listeners of the podcast, you might have noticed <laughs> that we kind of slipped it past you here that Ethan is uh, is not Travis this week. Uh, in fact, Ethan is Lord Tupperware from Lords of Limited, so we'll put the link in the doobly-doo on the, on the show notes here, but um, uh, we did a little bit of a podcast swap this week. So Ethan is from... Lords of Limited with Mr. Metronome. Um, ben, what's his last name? Wernie. There, okay. I didn't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. I didn't want to embarrass myself. It's all good. Um, so I want to thank you for, for coming to, uh, on our show and, and basically dumping your knowledge here and doing a lot of prep work for the show. So it's much appreciated. Oh,
0: man. It's my pleasure. I listen to your show every week. I'm a huge fan. I watch Tribes the stream a lot. So I'm very, very honored to be a part of the show.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And... Um, uh, yeah, it's good to get another perspective on the show. So you guys do, uh, for those that don't listen to your podcast, you guys do primarily draft. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you open every show with kind of like, this is this is how good we're doing and we're awesome and <laughs> you should come watch our streams. And it's true, you should, right? If you're, if you're not watching uh, Lord Tupperware or Mr. Metronome, is he still Mr. Metronome? Or did he, he is, his he's name? still
0: yeah, okay, Mr. Good. Metronome, yeah.
1: Um, we'll put his link in there as well. But of if course. you're not watching their streams or listening to their content, um, it's very high quality draft content. Um, with Travis and I, you kind of get a wide variety of topics on magic online but you guys are laser focused and you guys you guys are, are have tons of success in, in pretty much every format that you guys talk about so um if you want to get better at limited uh, listen to us also listen to these guys though so cool. um but yeah so thanks again for for hanging out on the show and uh we'll we'll do some we'll do the cross promotion we'll send out the links and stuff but it's a ton of fun hopefully we can do this again maybe maybe this time next year or something like that we can hook up for a for another one here yeah that'd be great i
0: think this was super fun and really successful
1: yeah and um yeah so but in the meantime uh we're gonna kind of leave it there we went a little over time but that's no big deal hopefully you guys enjoyed the content uh once again we're gonna thank face-to-face games and deprived.com for all of their support and uh you can find i'm gonna give you a chance to plug your twitter and twitch right now so go
0: great uh i am at twitter at lord tupperware ben is at mr metronome both of us uh, both of us are at twitch tv at those same names at uh slash lord tupperware and slash mr metronome and our podcast lords of limited can be found on itunes stitcher and mtgcast.com
1: there you go and we'll make sure you post links and i am once again david Seville. that's d civilian on twitch and twitter come in and find me we'll have a lot of fun so thanks again for listening it was a ton of fun we'll do this again next week Next week, I am gone, and I believe Travis has another special guest, so I have to actually teach him how to edit the podcast. I am going to be being a degenerate gambler in Vegas, but I'll be back the week after that. So please enjoy this episode and next one, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And thanks once again to our guest, Ethan. Thanks for having me. We'll catch you next time.